0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: As the German statesman Metternich said when told of the unexpected death of his French rival Talleyrand, dead, I wonder what he meant by that? Did Prigozhin fall from an extremely high window or was it a terrorist assassination? And why did the United States evacuate all of its nationals from Belarus? the base of Prigozhin and Wagner over the last few days. And on the anniversary on this day in 1942 of the joining of the epic and crucial Battle of Stalingrad, we'll be asking if it was true what Marshal Zhukov said. We have crushed Hitler and Nazism. Our allies will never forgive us. That and the bricks all coming up over the next two hours. Stay tuned for what will be, I promise, the mother of all talk shows. You are listening
1: to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: What Metternich meant, of course, was that no one as cunning and mysterious and genius like Talleyrand could possibly have died without it having any deeper meaning. Tonight, we'll be asking if the strange and unexpected death plummeting from the skies on a private aircraft on a flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg has some deeper meaning. Of course, a great deal of speculation will centre around the famous statement by President Putin in 2018 that he could forgive most anything except betrayal. We can recall the statement by the same President Putin that those who led just two months ago the so-called march on Moscow had done an act of treason and that they would be dealt with. Of course, many will imagine that this all proves the long hand of President Putin. But you'll not be surprised, perhaps, to learn that in this case, at least, I don't think so. For a start, it blows a hole in Russia's opportunity to gain from the turmoil in Niger, where, I assume, The last video appearance of Pregosian was filmed. The Wagner group is very important, not just in Niger, but in Burkina Faso and also in Mali. It is also fighting ISIS and Al-Qaeda terrorists in other parts of Africa. Now, they may continue to do that without their head, but the plane that blew up over Moscow today, also had his deputy, Utkin, in the plane beside him. So Wagner just lost their leader and their deputy leader, and blowing away perhaps the possibility of a decisive role in a big crisis in Africa, where US and French imperialism was seeking to reverse the coup in Niger. The second reason why I don't think so is the BRICS. This is a gathering of immense importance to Russia, in Africa, in South Africa. Putin himself just delivered the address he could not make in person by video hours before the events surrounding the plane crash between Moscow and St. Petersburg. It's an embarrassment for Russia, whether Putin had him killed or whether someone else successfully assassinated him, which is the theory to which I myself, in events that are only an hour or two old, am beginning to lean. I'll tell you why. There are far more unspectacular ways of killing Prigozhin than blowing him out of the sky with the death of nine or let's call it eight others, three pilots, other passengers. If he flew out from a Moscow airport, he could have been killed in the Moscow airport with one bullet or one whiff of Novichok. He could have been dispensed with very cleanly with no collateral damage, and in a way which would have drawn far less international interest. The second reason is this, that the United States, just 72 hours ago, and apropos apparently nothing at all, withdrew all of its nationals from Belarus, who was based in Belarus, who was living in Belarus, who had recently established a camp in Belarus, none other than Prigozhin and his Wagner group. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that there's no valid reason to suspect the hand of Putin seeking revenge for what happened a couple of months ago. I'm just asking you to balance the probabilities. And when I do that, at this early stage, my finger of suspicion points towards a political assassination. The United States is not the only party that could have an, an opportunity, could have a motive, for carrying out this assassination. France is another. After the events in Niger, and the importance of Pregosian in African struggles, France would be a potential culprit. But the United States must have known that something was going to happen to Pregosian, unless they can come up with another explanation as to why their nationals were suddenly pulled out of Belarus with no explanation and no other theory occurring to me or anyone else at this point in time. Either way, it's an embarrassment to Russia. If someone can get explosives, a bomb onto a plane at a Moscow airport and kill not just the leader and the deputy leader of the Wagner private military company, that is a black eye, to say the least, for Russia. If Russia themselves killed Prigozhin, well, no doubt it will have a chilling effect on anyone else who in the middle of a war decides to lead a mutiny against the government in Moscow. But as I say, there were easier ways and better times to have carried out that revenge if i remember correctly uh, the uh, the events in salisbury the scripple affair occurred at an equally odd time for a russian leader to carry out an act that could only bring opprobrium on himself and on his country so a pattern may very well be developing Here. As the story develops tonight and again on Sunday, I'm sure we will keep you abreast of it and invite calls and guests with different perspectives on those events. But I want to turn to the epic battle which was joined on this day in 1942 the Battle. Of Stalingrad. I do so because many younger viewers know little of its importance, little of its epic scale. It was the biggest battle in all human history, and it had the most important outcome in all human history. Because the Red Army victory at Stalingrad quickly followed Uh, by the decisive victory of the Red Army and its T-34 tank divisions of the Nazi forces at Kursk marked the turn in the Second World War that led very quickly thereafter to the crushing of Hitler in his lair and the defeat of Hitler fascism amidst the ruins of Berlin. Kursk, incidentally, was won exactly 80 years ago this day, an auspicious anniversary for both of those reasons. But the defeat of Hitler fascism, overwhelmingly as a result of the heroism and professionalism and the leadership of the Red Army, was something that the West never forgave. As the victor of the battle for Berlin, Marshal Zhukov said, predicted, so presciently, at that time, we have destroyed Hitler and Nazism. Our allies will never forgive us. How significant a prediction that turned out to be. Because although the Red Army broke the siege of Stalingrad and decisively crushed von Paulus and the beasts of fascism that had besieged the city and caused such slaughter, the truth is, Russia has been besieged ever since. It was besieged immediately that the victory was won in Berlin. The Iron Curtain was not erected by the Russians. It was erected by those who actually had a plan to turn the Nazi divisions around and lead them into a war against the then Soviet Union. And the author of that plan was the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. The Cold War was begun, not by Russia, but by the West. NATO was formed, not as a response to the creation of the Warsaw Pact, but four years before the creation of the Warsaw Pact. The fact that I'm having to spell out, These once upon a time ABCs to any audience, even this one, is a sign of the extent to which the history of the Second World War and its aftermath have been so utterly distorted that 70% of French people believe that it was the United States that won the Second World War. 70% of French, the most politically advanced population in Europe, think that it was the GIs that defeated Hitler and liberated Germany from fascist tyranny. The siege of Russia was made possible by the now in retrospect foolhardiness of Stalin in not destroying the German state when he was able to do so. I mentioned Metternich earlier. Bismarck united all of the principalities of Germany and created a mighty military power out of it which danced in the streets of Paris on two occasions subsequently. Germany invaded and conquered France three times in 70 years. The case for returning Germany to a balkanized set of principalities was no doubt made in the Kremlin, but not agreed upon, they settled instead for a line east of which, when Russia agreed to abandon that line, NATO would never advance according to the promises of George Bush I and all of the presidents and secretaries of state until Bill Clinton began the super-expansion of NATO during his presidency. But it would not have been possible if the German state had been broken up, as it is now clear it should have been. And now Russia again has panzers on its territory, not all that far from Kursk. Why do I dwell on this? Not just because it's an important history lesson, but because I'm thinking that no such moderation, no such reasonableness will ever again win the day in arguments in the Kremlin. Dividing Ukraine along the Dnipro, along the current, line of control freezing the conflict on a north south korea basis would only bring would only be a harbinger of great disasters to come a division of ukraine into east ukraine and west ukraine with west ukraine becoming bristling with weapons including nuclear weapons would only move the front line. A much more radical outcome of the war in Ukraine, it seems to me, is much more likely. And I'll be discussing that with my guests in the rest of the show. But let me turn quickly to the United States of America, where this evening, Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson go head-to-head with Fox News' so-called debate between the runners in the donkey derby, who are the opponents of President Trump in this contest. I'm sure, as you are, that Tucker and Trump will win the day the ratings war. In fact, it will be no contest. By an entire furlong, these two thoroughbreds will trounce the opposition in the donkey derby. But that's not my point. If you have not yet seen the interview between Tucker Carlson and Colonel Douglas McGregor, whom you saw first here on the mother of all talk shows and more than once then you have missed the most important interview that you may ever watch in your entire lifetime unless the lesson of that interview is learned and heeded and acted on quickly Colonel McGregor's tour de force and Tucker's monologue about how this war in Ukraine has been the big lie, a big lie of which Goebbels himself would have been proud. All these lies have led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of men, most of them by a ratio of five to one Ukrainian men, the flower of the Ukrainian people now laid in the ground in the service of that big lie. Colonel McGregor, a combat veteran, an officer and a gentleman, a former White House and Pentagon advisor lays bare the extent of that big lie. And I really hope that once you've watched this mother of all talk shows tonight, and once you've watched Carlson and Trump, that you don't miss out and watch Carlson and Colonel McGregor, the most important interview you may ever watch. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It is already the mother
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Burrow's Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: Now, uh, we're running a poll this evening on Hawaii, on Maui, the disaster stricken area which has been treated so bizarrely by President Joe Biden, who went on two holidays, who said no comment to the media on the subject of the wildfires there on two occasions, two holidays, two no comments and then went to Hawaii and promptly fell asleep as a sign of how dynamic the presidential response was, raising this question that we posed this evening. Should disaster-stricken Hawaii secede from the United States? Although, as my friend Mark Seddon pointed out, that presupposes that the people of Hawaii ever agreed to join the United States in the first place. Should disaster-stricken Hawaii secede from the United States? The answer yes or no on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway, on my Twitter, my X, on the YouTube community poll, and on the YouTube stream. 17,000 people have already voted in this poll. Have your say. Now, my first guest this evening, I was asked about an hour ago, uh, where does Pepe Escobar live? Where is he based? I answered, I have no idea. All I know is he knows everything about everywhere. And that's why he's such a supremely interesting guest to join us on the mother of all talk shows this evening. And I mean it sincerely, Pepe. Now, I asked you on here, to talk about the BRICS, and I promise that we shall. But I need to ask what you make of the events in Russia this afternoon and the presumed death of both the leader and the deputy leader of the Wagner Group. Wow, George, first of all,
1: it's an enormous pleasure to talk to you and to your audience, of course. It's an explosive night here in Moscow. It's 11.30 p.m. And rumors have been swirling all over the spectrum for hours. In fact, it's confirmed. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin and his number two, his the camp uh, Dmitry Utkin, uh, they are, they, they are dead. They are confirmed dead. Uh, it, it has not been announced by uh, Russia 24 TV officially, but it has been confirmed by Wagner. Not only that, uh, the, you know, the top home shows at, at Wagner are, as we speak, sitting down to put in place the contingency plans that they, of course, they had for for years. In fact, in case of the death of their CEO, uh, it's it's a completely crazy situation in Moscow because it, it, there are all sorts of rumors and explanations and hypotheses concerning. Who killed Prigozhin? The CIA, the NSA, Putin, Shoigu, Gerasimov, uh, the SBU, you name it. You know, uh, we don't know anything. we uh, One of the f- only things that we really know is that the plane um, uh, was shot down. We don't know by whom. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that uh, Russian... Uh, anti-aircraft uh, system did it. Uh, an S 300, not confirmed at all. Apparently there was not a bomb on board. So uh, uh, you can imagine what's gonna happen in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, right? And of course, uh, this will not ch- That's very, very important. It's not gonna change what Wagner is going to do in Africa. Very important. Prigozhin flew from Africa. Today, he arrived in Moscow, and then they took uh this Embraer airplane to go to St. Petersburg. And then the accident or crash, whatever you want to call happened. The thing is, uh, what Prigozhin had already announced in early May, this means a month, a month and a half before that extraordinary Maskirovka that happened in June 23, 24, the, the so-called coup against Putin which was not a coup, was basically a a union dispute between um, Prigozhin and uh, Shoigu at the Ministry of Defense. So uh, Prigozhin himself had already announced that uh, Wagner was going to be reorganized in Africa or solidified in Africa as a sort of international body against uh, all sorts of Al-Qaeda-inspired or uh, Al-Qaeda-linked terror outfits operating in Africa in the famous tri-border area. this means Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger. So this is not going to change this is the this is the, the the plan short middle and long term for Wagner and this is directly linked to the Russian Ministry of Defense as well. So what's already happening which is extraordinary tonight in fact, a lot of Wagner uh, fighters who were in Belarus, are flying back to Russia, and they're going to be directly incorporated into the Ministry of Defense. So whatever happened to Prigozhin, we can say one thing, Uh, the Prigozhin chapter, which is a sort of (laughs) 10 Netflix series in one, especially these past few months, is over. But Wagner incorporated in the Ministry of Defense and acting as a very, very strong force in, in the Sahel, in Africa, it's a given. What happened to Prigozhin, we'll only you know in the next, uh, I would say, days, not hours. It's very, it's very very complicated. And uh, considering that, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. There are two telegram channels that are linked to Wagner. that They are saying that the plane was shot down by a missile operated by the Russian Minister of Defense. This is an extremely serious allegation with no proof, of course. It could have been a rogue operation, of course. It could have been something that rogue operators linked to the Ministry of Defense, managed to get away with it because they had support from above. And considering that the feud between uh, Prigozhin and Shoigu was something really, really hardcore, which is something that was confirmed personally to me by a Donbass commander who turned politician here in Moscow and said, yes, it's, it's personal between Prigozhin and Shogu, Shogu, it's personal. So this whole story was basically a clash of egos. And now more or less, it's more or less resolved, at least
2: for the moment. Can the orchestra, though, uh, play as well uh, without its conductor and his deputy? Uh, are these musicians capable of operating under new management? And what's the argument for having such a mercenary force in any case. I, from the beginning, have said that it's an extremely unhealthy growth uh, on the Russian body politic that the state has to have a monopoly of that level of force. Uh, Drawing my inspiration from Machiavelli's uh, same conclusions. Uh, Shouldn't they just forget about Wagner now and everyone join the army? In fact, uh, George, they will forget about
1: Wagner because Wagner will be renamed and will be incorporated uh, into the Russian Ministry of Defense. So Wagner, as we know it, will continue, but under (laughs) new, (laughs) very, very special management. This means directly the Ministry of Defense. But the mandate and what they are supposed to do across Africa is not going to change. The same thing, uh, it's what they did in Syria. They're going to replicate and they're already replicating in Africa. And uh, the Belarus chapter was a diversion, considering what happened these past few months, where they... uh, were threatening more or less to open uh, a new front against um, uh, Ukraine. And that drove the SBU and Ukrainian intelligence completely crazy. But that was a maskirovka as well. Uh, th- there was never any intention by Wagner and by the Minister of Defense to have Wagner operating inside Belarus. The focus is Africa. And, and now after what happened, what what is still happening in Niger, which is the culmination of a long process of uh, revolt against uh, France-Afrique, the French system in West Africa, and all shapes and, <laughs> and forms of French neocolonialism, the Russians have a great opportunity to have a, a sort of uh, anti-terror and anti-foreign interference um, outfit, operating from Western Africa all the way to Eastern Africa, sooner sooner or later, across the Sahel. Let's say a belt from uh, uh, Mali all the way to uh, Eritrea, for instance. Against, of course, the usual suspects and French influence. So so this is what's going to be played out in Africa next. And, of course, the usual suspects uh, in the Pentagon, the beltway, are absolutely terrified about it.
2: Now, I made the point earlier that one of the reasons why uh, this would be an odd day uh, for uh, Putin to decide to kill Prigozhin was that this was a red letter day uh, for uh, BRICS, which is, of course, built upon, in part, uh, Russia's prestige, strength, and and uh, advancing uh economy, and so on. And indeed, this was the very day that Putin addressed the BRICS. Now, you've been uh, very excited about this BRICS summit. Why not? Uh, Has it lived up uh, to your expectations so far? Uh, Not yet. To to answer you directly, George, not yet.
1: Uh, In fact, this morning, all of us were following closely the speeches by the five leaders, uh, okay, uh, concisely, I would say that Putin and Xi uh, basically delivered. Uh, they are both extremely aware of the ultra-high stakes involved. But uh, from Modi, from Lula, and from uh, Ramaphosa, I would say was not exactly exciting. Modi basically, he had a campaign speech. He was basically saying, look how how great I am, oh, everything that I accomplished in India this past year or year and a half or two years. Lula was, uh, was not the Lula that we're used to. He can be an absolutely outstanding speaker when he improvises. He was reading notes, and obviously these notes were not written by him. This is something we can tell right away. Even the way he speaks his Portuguese, you can tell right away that this is not Lula thinking and this is not Lula arguing, you know. So uh, he was below par considering his very, very high standards as a public speaker. And Ramaphosa was basically taking notes and basically repeating uh, slogans that we are all familiar with, but um, without elaborating on them praising his colleagues for some of the things they said, of course, but they had already discussed that uh, among themselves. So they knew exactly uh, if they were in sync, and they are in sync about most of it, in terms of uh, BRICS as uh, a sort of new G7 or the real G20 from now on, or even an alternate alternative United Nations, or uh, the most important multilateral organization at the moment to organize the inclusion of the global south and in international relations, uh, the reach towards Africa, which is very, very important. The Chinese have been saying that for years, in fact. And uh, it's no wonder that Xi Jinping tomorrow is going to have a meeting. Only China and 40 or 50 heads of states from all over Africa, and also from the G77, which is the non aligned, the new non aligned movement, which, by the way, George, the G77 is now G134. There are 134 developing nations on this group, on this non aligned group, which is basically the cream of the crop of the global South. And they're all interested in BRICS, and they're all interested in discussing with BRICS, and they're all interested to have some of their members as part of BRICS. Which brings us to who is going to be part of BRICS+, Plus, which is something that they said, the South Africans said today, it's going to be announced tomorrow. Uh, there are two conflicting versions coming from the South African themselves. They're going to announce tomorrow the procedures for the new members of BRICS+, and there's another interpretation that they already have a list. What we managed to know so far is that we are very close, possibly, of a BRICS-10. At the moment, it's BRICS-5. The BRICS-10 will have uh, Argentina. Uh, this was Brazil's vote, essentially, among the five. Egypt, uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the Emirates. And what does that tell us? This is extremely important. It tells us that the BRICS are more or less getting closer and closer with OPEC plus. This is the energy angle, which in this case, geoeconomically is even more important than the geopolitical angle. But now we're going to have enormous producers of energy together sitting on the same table, including Russia, of course, Iran, Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Russia, and soon we may have Venezuela as well. And in, in, the, in the second batch, why not Kazakhstan? You know, can you imagine what this means in terms of having between 16, 70% of the major producers of oil and gas sitting on the same table on a geopolitical level, not only in an organization that is strictly business and energy business like OPEC plus? This, this is the, I I see this as the real game changer because what's going to happen afterwards? The second step, they're going to start trading among themselves and with their customers in their local currencies, which is part and parcel of the discussions since yesterday in Johannesburg. How we're going to increase uh, trade in our currencies. Uh, all of us five BRICS members. And if it's BRICS 10, the same thing will apply. So we're going to have Dirham, we're going to have the Iranian Rial, all part of uh, these, uh, this uh, trade connectivity in local currency So I would say that the next 24 hours could be a game changer. Let, let's not have <laughs> too many high expectations, of course, we all do. But uh, if they dare, first of all, to publish the for all, the whole world to see, okay, the procedures for for admission are that, they're not very complicated. All the 23 of you who applied sooner or later will get in, and all 40-something of you who expressed interest, in, we're open to all of you. So soon we're going to have BRICS 40, BRICS 45. Can you imagine that? It's 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 possible, but not this year, uh, George. I would say that the consolidation I'm all, of, I'm of the am already imagining that we're
2: living these days, you're already imagining
1: I'm That's already psycho,
0: imagining fantastic. it
2: <laughs> with, with excitement. Pepe Escobar, it's been a privilege for all of us to see and hear you again this evening. Don't be a stranger. And My stay pleasure, in touch. George. Pepe you. Escobar, how wonderful uh, character and so learned and so worldly wise. Should disaster-stricken Hawaii secede from the United States? Yes, Or no, you can vote almost up to the end of the show. And you can also call me. I'll be right back. Stay tuned.
4: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
1: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: Well, it's been quite the show. Uh, an unexpected turn of events uh, the uh, death, the killing, I think we can say, of Prigozhin and his deputy on board their private jet flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Shooting down of the plane or the plane being bombed in a terrorist act of sabotage, as yet, we don't know. What we know from Pepe Escobar is that rumors are swirling wildly, and not just, I'm sure, in Moscow, in Russia. Uh, Now, we talked to Pepe about the uh, BRICS that's taking place in South Africa, and very informative, as I expected, we expected him to be but let's hear from my good friend and former colleague ahmed kabalo and clinton nzala to get an african perspective on what's happening down in south africa gentlemen very good to see you i don't know if you heard pepes uh, well i was going to say excited but maybe a bit less excited than he had previously, been uh, about the BRICS meeting so far. What's your own perspective on it?
5: Yeah, I mean, the whole African continent is excited about BRICS. And we went to the streets of Johannesburg and we got some box pops and everyone was excited. Every taxi that we drove in, the taxi drivers expressed their excitement. However, going to the event today and yesterday, um The excitement has kind of died down a little bit because although BRICS is definitely needed and it's definitely the future, because of the actions of the South African president, Sarah Ramaphosa, to not allow Putin, to disinvite Putin from attending uh, in person, I think it's put a bit of a downer on the whole event. Uh, Today, kind of Putin, It seemed like he took a bit of a shot at Ramaphosa. He said that, you know, Russia will be hosting the next BRICS and Russia will make sure that it's independent and not, you know, uh, subject to external pressures. I'm not sure if he worded it exactly like that, but that was the gist. And um, it definitely felt like a dig. Then Ramaphosa said something back, mentioned the war in Ukraine and then said something like, as you said that you want this to end, you know, the you said part of it felt a bit targeted and and, and telling in the tone. Um, and then we have President Modi, who seems to want to have one foot in the Westies camp and one foot in Bricks's camp. You know, in his speech today, I think he mentioned the G20 um, in positive terms and then mentioned Bricks. And it's like, why are you mentioning G20 at Bricks Summit? I'm sure none of the G20 members are mentioning Bricks when they when they meet uh so yeah you know there was positive comments from 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 uh president lula uh the chinese are obviously always reserved in their assessments and putin was you know no hold but no holds back bars and was denouncing the west for you know causing global insecurity through its sanction regime through its wars through its regime change program i just feel like there's two members, South Africa and India, that might potentially be letting the slide down.
2: Is that how you saw it, Clinton? It certainly seemed uh, also to be the view of, uh, of Pepe Escobar. Is that how you two saw it?
6: I definitely agree. I think at uh, the best I can say, it has been lukewarm. Like a lot of people <laughs> ex- expected decisive statements decisive postures from the leaders of the BRICS nations involved. Then I think from the past couple of months or weeks leading to the BRICS summit, I think President Ramaphosa has failed to show a backbone. Uh, the, today we are having four leaders at the uh, summit uh, against expectations of having five leaders. And many people, they think this is a result of President Ramaphosa failing to stand up to the bullying tactics of the West he failed to make it clear to say, as a host nation, all leaders of BRICS that were supposed to be in Johannesburg were going to travel to Johannesburg. So at one time, he had shown like he was willing to take a stand. He was willing to have President Putin here, safe and secure. Then at one moment, he seemed to backtrack. So all this had kind of affected, I think, just affected the mood of the, the summit. A lot of people, you know, BRICS is seen as... An alternative is supposed to be a group of people who cannot be swayed around by some Western bullying or whatever. But it's, uh, President Ramaphosa has thought to show that. So generally, the whole conference is very lukewarm. And like uh, Amit pointed out to say, I was shocked when we had President uh, Prime Minister Modi talking about how he India is going to help the African Union to get a seat uh, in the G20. Like at a BRICS summit, why are you going to be talking about the G20s? It's like totally undidated. And I think that the reason why we've got groupings like uh, BRICS is because of members of the Global South seeing that uh, groups like G20 were not giving them the voice that they wanted. At the best, those were reduced to just talk shops. And if they were invi- if they are ever invited, sometimes they do send out token invitations to certain countries from the Global South. But we know to say those countries there are not taken seriously. They are just treated like bridesmaids or escorting some people to their marital bliss. So I think that then organizations like BRICS, at least they give the Global South a voice. And it's a reason why right now, a lot of uh, countries from the Global South have, have shown interest to join BRICS because they think that it's a platform where their aspirations and their developmental agendas, their political agendas are going to be hit. They are going to have a voice. And like places like where I've said uh, G20, which are merely beauty pageants that only help to maybe to try to sell capitalism to, to the global South.
2: Ahmed, I'm so old, I knew a different Cyril Ramaphosa and a different uh, ANC for that matter. But whenever I make that point, uh, people refer me to a book called The Economic Hitman. And they imply uh, that uh, the economic hitmen have got to Cyril and to the ANC and that they're not actually free agents to be what perhaps they would like to be, certainly what they would once uh, have uh, liked to be. Is that just a cop-out or is there anything in that?
5: Well, well, Cyril Ramaphosa is the second richest Black man in South Africa is a billionaire now. He has millions, maybe billions in offshore accounts, which means there's clearly a conflict of interest. You know, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world at the moment. Is a billionaire president the type to put in policies that are really going to empower the masses and redistribute the wealth, which was what the Freedom Charter and the struggle for Liberation was all about? But that being said, you know, I'm very critical of the ANC, Um, and I think some of the points are valid. But there is two wings of the ANC, and Ramaphosa clearly represents the moderate ring. If we look back to President Zuma, you know, who, again, I'm not a big fan of, but if we look back to when the West put pressure on President Zuma with regard to the ICC arrest warrant of Omela Bashir, he says, do what you want to me. Bashir's coming, and that's that. Now, um, you know, um, you know me, you know my family, we oppose the Bashir regime. But we think it's a principal position because the ICC, I think it was nicknamed by the Gaddafi, the International Caucasian Court, because it only goes after African leaders. It really loses all credibility when you look at the people that goes after. So I'm not one of these Sudanese people that believes Bashir should be in the ICC, not because he's not a war criminal, because I just don't believe in the institution. I believe that, you know, if you're going to try uh, someone in a court that has no legitimacy on the continent it doesn't mean anything it just looks like a a, a western instrument to go after african leaders um but yeah i mean when we spoke to taxi drivers this is the best way to get the feel of what people are saying on the ground all of the taxi drivers feel that that ramaphosa has basically uh lost his backbone and it's not just that he disinvited putin if we think back he did much worse than that He made up this fake quote that there's no way the Russians ever said about if you dare arrest Putin, it would be a declaration of war. Now, because it was such a provocative thing to misquote an ally about, the Russians had to come back and say, we never said that. But it does go without saying that if you were to arrest any head of state, it would be a declaration of war. So I think it wasn't just, uh, you know, disinviting him. I think it was the comments afterwards that showed that he's not a reliable partner and maybe not, you know, the one that should be leading the African charge in the BRICS.
2: Clinton, uh, what significance for Africa do you see in the death of Prigozhin uh, and his deputy in the plane crash in Moscow, outside Moscow today? Uh, Pepe's view was that it will make no difference. Russia will uh, play the same role in uh, Sahelian Africa as uh, it would have done if these events had not happened. Do you have any uh, views on that, any apprehensions about that? I think it all
6: depends on how uh, we not say Wagner has got uh, quite a significant presence in the Central African Republic and the Sahel, where they've played a decisive role in ensuring that some norms and some stability returns to the region. They've helped to turn the tide against attacks from insurgent groups in those regions. So, but after the, I don't know if I would call it an insurrection that we saw a few months ago, I think there were some configurations that were done regarding how the Wagner group operates in those regions. So I think due to those configurations, yes, of course, the impact is going to be there, but I feel to say it will be minimal. It will not be one that would disrupt the ongoing operations that Wagner has in the region, or maybe even, um, like, I don't think it would affect the security arrangements that are going there. It's a sad thing whenever someone dies, and actually it's very sad, but I think that the operations will continue in their current form.
2: Ahmed, last word to you, and changing the subject necessarily short of time. Uh, The big struggle in Nigeria, must reach a conclusion sometime soon in the courts, uh, the question of whether or not the current president of Nigeria was actually legally entitled to be on the ballot paper. And uh, I have uh, somewhat unexpectedly uh, emerged as someone in that, uh, um, that mix. Um, it's a strange thing that an African president is in court in Illinois, trying to stop his university from releasing a copy of his uh, academic results. One can only assume that they don't make for good reading. What's your take on that?
5: It is strange, unless you understand the, the, the ins and outs of US imperialism. He is the perfect candidate to do their bidding because it makes no sense a country like Nigeria that says one of the biggest tribes in Nigeria with the people of Niger shares one of the biggest land borders, shares a lot of culture, dress especially between the north, to be attacking their neighbour over a coup in a continent that has dozens of coups that happen all the time and Nigeria doesn't do anything. So, you know, they need to have somebody that has this threat looming over them that we will, you know, charge you for this or we can take your money away from you or we can expose you. And that's what gets them to do their bidding. It's part of the book that you mentioned previously, The Economic Hitman. This is, you know, I don't know what page it is in the CIA handbook, but it's definitely in there.
2: Fantastic. Thanks for uh, both of you appearing. Uh, I'm very glad to see you squeezed into the one frame. I'm glad we were able to talk to both of you and I hope it isn't the last time either. Clinton and Ahmed, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Now the last time I saw Lee Camp was in a temple of indeterminate religious ordination but we had a great time together in Beijing and he appeared on our now famous "Motes from Beijing you may recall. Of course, I check him out every time I know that he's performing and you should too. He's not just funny. He's not just a satirist of the highest rank. He's politically switched on to Lee Camp. Welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. On that point, you being uh, a satirist, you'll soon be out of work because, I mean, real life, it could not be more satirically funny. <laughs>
3: yeah, it it does make my job kind of hard when uh, I, I feel like uh, reality is lapping satire. It is quite difficult when you have a president that falls asleep through every event. It's, it it does become harder and harder. Yeah, he was working out for, for 90 minutes. That's right. I, I think, you know, really, it, it, <laughs> he has to work out so much because uh, his presidency is not working out. So he just claims he is. And, uh, you know, I, I imagine it probably involves a team of people trying to make sure his joints still function in one form or another.
2: It's hard to believe that. Uh, I mean, maybe that's why he fell asleep in Hawaii. He'd been working out for an hour no. and a half uh, before it. An 80 year old man. Uh, by the way, Mick Jagger is also 80 years old, he's the same age as Joe Biden. Uh, But I doubt if he would fall asleep. Uh, But the the slumber was significant, wasn't it? Because it came after 10 days, I think, certainly a week of absolute neglect by the government in Washington. And when they did deliver aid to the people of Maui, it was less than those same people through their taxes had just given in the latest tranche of aid to the Ukraine. How's that for equity?
3: Yeah, what was it, $700 a house or something like that? It's it, it completely meaningless. Yeah. And, and let's remember that we have a military budget that's a trillion dollars a year. They could make every one of those people who lost their homes a millionaire and not even notice it on the on the Pentagon's budget. Uh, yeah, it, it is disgusting, the neglect. Uh, how little Joe Biden has so-called achieved, but you know maybe this is a good thing for the American people to see that when the president is essentially meaningless, essentially just a a, a sack of flesh falling asleep in every meeting, all the machines continue to run, and it actually shows. How little the presidency kind of matters. You have the military-industrial complex, the the corporate America that is making most of these decisions uh, around the world and wreaking havoc, and the president is kind of like you know, yeah, he makes a decision here or there, or the people around him do, but it's it's kind of meaningless. And maybe this is helping the American people wake up to you know, pun I guess unintended, wake up to how little. The, the, the presidency matters in the scope of things. The wars continue. The bombing continues. The, the, the disgrace that is our infrastructure in America remains the same. There's just so many levels that nothing changes, whether you have Biden falling asleep every three minutes or Donald Trump ranting and raving every three minutes. It doesn't seem to change.
2: Well, uh, according to Biden, the economy is doing very well uh, under the Democrats. The fact that your mortgage rate uh, is now 8% uh, in the United States, which presumably will cause a crash in the number of houses bought and the number of houses sold, because who's going to move from uh, the fixed-term mortgage they're already on to an 8% mortgage on, on a new property? This is symptomatic, isn't it, of a deep malaise in the U.S. economy?
3: Yeah, I mean, people are struggling horrifically. It's—I I, believe—it's still two-thirds of America that say they live paycheck to paycheck. Um, you just had people thrown off of healthcare across the country. Over four million people dumped off of uh, Medicaid by the Biden administration, and they don't know where they're going to get their healthcare coverage. You you have uh, people kicked off of food stamps. Um, it's just, it, it, again, these, these presidencies are very similar. The, the the Democrats talk a game as if they care about human beings and they don't. And people are struggling in just so many ways. There's over a trillion dollars of credit card debt. I mean, that's how people are surviving in the United States is putting more and more on credit cards to just try and cover basic necessities. That is not a bubbling economy.
2: Now, uh, bubbling on another network, uh, I'm sure, is the donkey derby uh, uh, of the uh, putative candidates to fight against Joe Biden on Fox News, although it's Hamlet without the prince, uh, because uh, the somewhat tawdry prince, Donald Trump, is elsewhere. We'll come to him in a minute, but tell us about the runners and riders on Fox News tonight.
3: (laughs) I mean, I can't even name them all. They're all running over twenty percent or whatever behind Donald Trump. I mean, there's obviously DeSantis is the big one, but I don't know they're they're all competing for who can sound like the the, the who can spit out the most lunacy. Uh, And it is all meaningless As we've seen time and again No matter what these people say They all tend to do the same things in office Whether it's a Democrat or a Republican They all, you know Republicans try and act more right wing Democrats try and act more left wing And then when they get into office Nothing they said matters So I don't know why people tune into these debates And act like what's being spoken Is any kind of truth
2: Although one of them is really two men in disguise, isn't he? That fellow, Chris Christie. I'm sure he's two men in the same suit. He
3: very well Is he might the fattest
2: be. man let's... ever to run for office?
3: <laughs> he might be. He And let's remember, this is a guy who was, you know, kicked out of the governorship in, in New Jersey in within a scandal. And this is the best, you know, the, the Republicans, I mean, Democrats too, but it's the best they have to show, apparently. He's now the moral arbiter. That's how far we've sunk. The guy who left his governorship under massive scandal is now the moral arbiter of the Republican Party.
2: <laughs> Let's turn then to the prince. Uh, uh, he made uh, he made a big choice not to join the debates. Uh, he's so far ahead. You could see why he took that decision. And Tucker Carlson's definitely determined... Uh, to get his own back on Fox News. So their event is clashing directly uh, with the Fox News uh, debate. First of all, who will win the ratings war on that one? And what are you expecting from Carlson and Trump?
3: Yeah, I bet you Trump probably wins the rating war. I mean, I don't, like, I don't, like, walking around, I live in Baltimore now, walking around, I don't know if anybody even knows there's a Republican debate happening. I don't, like, I don't know if people are, is, is anyone really tuning in to this, to this clown show, but um yeah i I, i'm sure trump will win that ratings war and you know i think we can all we all kind of know what he's gonna say he did nothing wrong he's the best president to ever live he had a perfect phone call all that stuff i mean it's funny because you have An incredibly corrupt con man going up against uh, the the portion of the ruling elite that desperately want to stop him from winning the presidency again. And they're all, of course, corrupt and and in bed with the most horrific corporations in the world. And so you have the corrupt versus the corrupt. And, you know, these latest charges, I guess, are some of the most significant. But maybe we'll get into that.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's going to be arrested in in Georgia tomorrow. What for?
3: Yeah, I, it seems like the 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 main charges are that they basically he and his he and his group put together a competing list of electors to claim that the, in certain states, including Georgia, he had won the state and then send those electors to uh, Congress to put them forward as the actual people that would vote uh, for the president, which to me, this is one of the one of the key things that and, and it, well, first of all, I'll say this. Is it a crime? I, yeah, I'd say likely it is. It probably absolutely is. He's corrupt. He he did everything he could to try and maintain his position as president. Um, but he's going against other corrupt people who are who are equally corrupt in different ways. Uh, but I'll say this that that one of the things that is essentially not mentioned at all in this entire scandal, this whole idea of him putting to, putting together a competing electors is the whole elector system, the 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 electoral college is absolutely and horrifically undemocratic. These are people the whole idea of the electoral college was put forward initially in the United States in case, the American people had the nerve to vote for someone that the ruling elite did not want. So basically you have this electoral college, which is the final say in whether the American people got it right. And the electoral college has put our president into office many times against the, uh, the popular vote, or at least a few times. So it's a completely undemocratic system that Trump was trying to rig. Uh, for himself. But of course, that aspect of it, how horrifically undemocratic this is, not mentioned really on your mainstream media.
2: No, uh, and just like the investigation into uh, the Bidens. I mean, I keep reading in the small subsection uh, of media that I uh, inhabit, uh, I keep reading that uh, actually they're discovering more and more information. Uh, about uh, the Bidens, the Biden crime family, including this, to my astonishment, apparently Joe Biden, the vice president of the United States, was sending emails to his son and his son's business associates under false names, under pseudonyms. I mean, we know about Hillary and her emails and all this, but if the, if the American people knew all this, surely there wouldn't even be a contest over whether Biden uh, gets reelected or not.
3: Yeah, I think his pseudonyms were uh, Sleeping Beauty and uh, the Crypt Keeper or some of the names that he was using on email. No, but uh, people should know that he was keeping contact about these dealings with his son. His son, obviously, on the board of that oil company in Ukraine, getting paid, uh, you know, millions of dollars, and setting up meetings. We now know they had at least one meeting with one of the heads of this oil company in Washington, D.C. that Biden was a part of. And another part of this story is that you see our mainstream media. I mean, the main people reporting on this are the kind of right wing outlets. But you see all of the kind of liberal outlets like New York Times, Washington Post, etc., running in circles to try and justify the fact that they've gone years denying this story denying the laptop was real denying that uh that uh, you that biden had anything to do with this ukraine oil company even though he said publicly of course that he got the prosecutor fired who was looking into this company uh in ukraine so it is amazing to see these so-called, you know, established legacy media outlets, the, the, the gymnastics they're doing right now to try and make it seem like they haven't been running interference for the president of the United States this entire time. I mean, these are garbage outlets, and it's really, it's really showing right now.
2: Tell us uh, about your next tour, uh, Lee. It's a great title, Not Enough Friends to Bury a Body. Who is that that doesn't have enough friends to bury a body?
3: (laughs) That'd be me. But uh, yeah, I'm doing a live, uh, two live Zoom comedy shows. So anybody in the world can buy tickets. Uh, They're only five bucks. And it's at the top of my Twitter feed, at Lee Camp. First time I've ever done this. Full new Zoom comedy show hour. And uh, I'm doing one of the shows at a time that's good for London folks as well because I didn't want you guys to be left out because of time zones. So September 2nd and 13th, and I really hope people check it out. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
2: Keep a a ticket for me, Lee. I'll definitely be in your audience. A pleasure, as always, remaking our acquaintance. Lee Camp, uh, satirist and comedian of the First Order. Uh, Get your tickets for his Zoom Comedy Club. That's a new one and worth it. It's only five bucks. Now, I should have cleared the line already, because the legend, who's been poorly, is back. It's Norma in Bristol. Norma, a giant sigh of relief around the world from the audience <laughs> that, that you're well enough to talk. How are you feeling?
4: Oh, I'm a lot better, George, but I haven't heard all your programme tonight, because my husband has been taken into hospital about an hour ago, so it's all been very traumatic. Oh, gosh. How Yeah, I know. I'm very sorry to hear that. I so am I at the moment. I really am. Anyway, listen, I am not very happy about what you said about CND. I know you've got some very good points, but I wanted to point out that there are three things they're doing in September. There's a big um, arms fair and they're, um, they've got an event on the 13th in London about the arms fair and as you know um, Jeremy Corbyn's the vice president but there's also a day of action on the 23rd of September um, highlighting, highlighting actually the um, position of nuclear escalation and the film Oppenheimer is being screened on Tuesday the 19th at 6.30 I wanted to say that they're not great. I've been a member for years. But they, we're not forgotten that they, they do try. That's all I want to say,
2: George. Well, uh, I, I'm, that's good news uh, to hear, Norma. But it is news. Uh, and I'm a person who... To say I'm a news addict uh, would be a severe understatement. I'm a person who is absorbing information about events and counter-events, about actions and counter-actions, all day long, every day, seven days a week, as my family can testify. Even when I'm at my dinner, I am absorbing what's going on in the country, in the world. So the fact that it's news to me means that it must be news to the vast majority of our yep. audience. So I appreciate your loyalty to the organization, and I'm genuinely pleased about the actions that you describe. But the fact that nobody that I know knows about them no,
4: I know. is a
2: very telling point, isn't mm-hmm.
4: it? Well, it is, yes, I know. and. No. Um, I would like much
2: more publicity, but we that no, we don't get a lot. No, no I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but they could have had a friend in moats. But how I voted on Brexit was more important than my stance on abolishing nuclear weapons, which I think speaks volumes about Kate Hudson, the General Secretary, of CND, uh, and I don't resile from anything that I said about them, notwithstanding Norma's helpful update about their continued activity. But activity in the dark, where no one can see you, and no one can hear you, except those that have passed your ideological litmus test and voted the right way on Brexit from your point of view, does not a mass movement against nuclear weapons make. I know because I have been in such a mass movement. I walked with the late and great General Secretary of CND, Monsignor Bruce Kent, all the way from Helensborough, from Faslane, the nuclear weapons base in Scotland. I walked all the way with Bruce Kent to Bergfield, the American military base in the south of England, holding a public rally every night that was rampacked with people, friends and foes. Julian Lewis, Sir Julian Lewis, then a foot soldier for the nuclear weapons camp, dogged us every step of the way and heckled us at every public meeting. I was on the mass demonstrations of hundreds of thousands of people organized by CND in the early 1980s against the sighting of cruise and Pershing missiles in Britain and throughout Europe. But now they won't even come on my show in which they can tell you what they're doing next week and the week after that because I voted for Brexit. That's where leftists are. Now that is the And I've gone over my time again, but God willing, I'll be back on Sunday at 7pm UK time with the mothership, with the Sunday edition of the mother of all talk shows. By then, things might be clearer in who killed Pregosian, whose death today provoked The Metternich question, what did he mean by that?
3: Good night.